This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. I came to work. I was I was brought by by guards. We were under protection. I was doing my work at the pub, and Roy was doing his work at the casino next door. And I remember this lady came running in and said there was a boy bleeding in, inside like you know so I ran out to see what it was and I found my son hunkered over uh, on the ground and bleeding and I seen a bullet on the ground and he said dad I might have been shot I held him there waiting for the ambulance to come and I, I thought they'd never get here so they came in and they they gave him a shot of adrenaline and they got him onto the gurney and he gave me the thumbs up and I thought he was going to be okay, and by the time I got to the hospital, Roy had died. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, the killer of Limerick businessman Roy Collins is seeking early release from prison after serving just 13 years of a life sentence. We speak to Roy's father, Steve, about how his family can't escape the events of 2009. He was the one that pulled the trigger. This has devastated a, a family. Yeah, we are we are traumatised by, by losing our son. But first, Paul Williams joins me to explain what Gangland was like in the early noughties and the viciousness of the Dundon-McCarty feud. It was starting to evolve. A new criminal fraternity has started to emerge following the the. the uh, the busting of the likes of John Gilligan and people like that. And we started seeing from around the late 90s a very much more pernicious, much more violent, much more volatile class of criminal. But the place that really blew up in the noughties uh, and had probably the worst uh, crime record or a record of violence and brutality in the history of organised crime in, co- in this country, including the Ken and Hutch feud, was Limerick. That was primarily driven by the McCarthy Dundons, a gang that you yourself, I think, dubbed Murder Inc. Tell us about them. Well, we have never seen the likes of the McCarthy Dundons or Murder Inc. before or since. Again, I keep making the point that if you wanted to do a comparative analysis between themselves and the Kinahan cartel, there is no competition. These guys were savages and brutes on a level that would just absolutely left everybody astounded because they murdered, deliberately went out and murdered innocent people. Uh, unlike other criminal gangs. Um, They targeted Roy, they targeted um, Sean Poland, they targeted a a nightclub uh, manager purely because he refused to let them into his club to sell drugs. Um, Murder Inc. was the only name you could really put on them. And they were responsible for, I'd say, about 24, 25 murders that we can directly say they carried out. Like, for example, Baiba Salute, an innocent mum of, of uh, two young boys in 2006. It was a horrendous case that rocked the nation. She was murdered by them as a favour to one of their friends. That's the kind of people you're talking about. Who were the leaders? 
Wayne Dundon, John Dundon, uh, their main enforcer was a guy called Nathan Killeen. Now, Wayne Dundon, John Dundon and Nathan Killeen are all serving life in mur- for murder and we hope that, and certainly I wouldn't say they'll ever see the light of day again, but Nathan Killeen and Wayne Dundon were both convicted of Roy Collins' murder. Two gangland criminals were today convicted of the murder of the businessman. 35-year-old Wayne Dundon of Lenehan Avenue and Nathan Colleen, who's 23 and from Hyde Road, were both given mandatory life today, sentences. The criminal court has found that Wayne Dundon directed Mr Collins's murder from behind prison walls and Nathan Colleen was the getaway driver used by the gunman. Steve Collins, it was 2009 when your son Roy was killed but your, I don't want to say relationship, but you first came into the con- contact with the McCarthy dundon gang a number of years before that. Can you explain what happened? Well, it happened in 2004 in December, coming up to Christmas. And my nephew, my, my, my nephew refused admission to a 14 or I think it was 13, 14 year old child into the pub. And it resulted in Wayne Dundon coming back and threatening to kill him. Um, we never thought much more about it until about a half an hour later. He came back in, walked into the bar, came behind the bar, went into where Ryan was pulling a point, and he shot him viciously twice. Um, he injured him really bad, and he sped away on a bike. But he was subsequently found, and he was prosecuted. And we went and gave evidence against him. And the result of that was he got 10 years in prison. And uh, But he always kind of held us responsible for it. like, And we were always under threat after that. Did you feel under threat? Did you feel that they could come after you in the way that they did? Oh, well, I mean, they, they were the most vicious gang around at the time. And their reputation was unbelievable. Like, they were the worst gang in, in Ireland at the time. There was very little talk about the Kinhens when when the Dundons were 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 around, like and uh, yeah, it was it was it was very it was a tough thing to do, like to, to go up against the leader of a, of a gang like that. And yeah, we were under protection, um, and you know it, it was it was with you every day. You couldn't you couldn't get away from it, like. But then came April two thousand and nine, and a day I presume that you didn't think would come, despite having protection despite having those fears. What can you remember about April 9? Well, I can remember. We were always in fear, as you say, Like, but uh, I remember that morning. Um, I came to work. I was I was brought by, by guards to my to my workplace, as I was every morning. Um, we were under protection, and Roy came into his place of business, which was next door to me at the pub. I was doing my work at the pub and Roy was doing his work at the casino next door. And I remember this lady came running in and said there was a boy bleeding in, inside, like, you know, and I didn't think much, but I just ran out. I thought somebody was after maybe throwing a dig at, at Roy or something like that. Like, so I ran out to see what it was. And I found my son hunkered over uh, on the ground and bleeding and I seen a bullet on the ground and he said, Dad, I'm about to be shot. Um, so I held him and I rang the, I rang the ambulance and rang the guards and um, I held him there until the, waiting for the, for the ambulance to come. And, but he was fading fast, like, and, and I, I thought he'd never get here, but then I just 
the guards arrived and then I heard the ambulance coming and I hoped that was it. So they came in and they they gave him a shot of adrenaline and he kind of bucked up a bit and they got him onto the gurney and he gave me the thumbs up and I thought he was going to be okay. And the guards asked me then to go in and give them CCTV uh, footage like, so they, they could go after whoever they thought it was. And so I went in and and um, gave them that footage and headed out to the hospital. And by the time I got to the hospital, Roy had died. How did you find out that he had died? I just, as I went into the hospital, I, I ran to the emergency unit. They wouldn't let me into the to the emergency ward and um, they told me to wait. And they came out then and told me that they couldn't help him. He was gone. You've told that story many times over the years. Does it still feel unreal to you? Absolutely. You never think that this kind of thing would come into your life. Maybe certain people would think that it might come, but not not when you're just going about your daily routine and and operating a business and you know, you, you get, this all comes on your shoulders because you do the right thing. You refuse a, a child coming into a pub after nine o'clock. Like, and, um, and this all comes on top of you then over that. And that's what it was really all about, like, and and then for this to happen, for them to take it so far, uh, I never thought they'd take it this far. You know what I mean? And you always thought that they would do damage, and they done damage. They burnt my pub down. They burnt how properties down I had. They done everything to intimidate me. Um, but that was kind of expected. But not that. Not I didn't think they'd actually come and and, and shoot one of us, like you know. And tell me about the aftermath of Roy's death, because obviously, I presume your own level of protection was upped, but you have to organise a funeral and then you have to or- reorganise your entire life without your son who was by your side. Well, you try you try to get on with life uh, as best you can, like, and you try to do the same things, like you organise everything, get it, get, it, get it sorted, and you have to go through that trauma of, of a funeral and then you have to try and rebuild the family and try and get them together and, and try and go on as best you can. And uh, and then that, that entailed then 24-hour security um, with two with two guardy, an iron guardy following me, following my sons, um, looking after the premises. I mean, there was up to 12 guardy minding us at this stage then. It was gone crazy, like, you know. And um, it became too much for us, like, you know. And... We got the option from the from the the government to to just to just pack up and go, and this was always there. And and I said, look, at we have to go. I, ca- I have to get my kids repaired. I have to get their minds sorted and try and clear their heads as best I could. And the only way to do this was to go away. And we decided to go away to to uh, go into protection, like you know, and head away, like. And that's what we did in 2012. So what happens when you go into the witness protection program? Do you have any, you presume you've left your job, you've left your businesses now. So do you have to find a new job? You obviously have some sort of new identity. How does it all work for you? Well, it's, it's, it's witness relocation. It's more, it's not protection where you lose your name and things like that. Like, you know, we had to go away and rebuild our lives uh, in America and we had to get businesses up and running over there. Um, and that was very tough. Very, very tough, and it's not as easy as people think um, to change your life completely and and to rebuild your life again after what we had was successful businesses going in Limerick, and 
we had to go from that then and start from scratch again. Like, and it, it was very tough, you know, and it was hard to do. And then it was hard to stay away. And it took a, a major toll on, on our health. My wife got very sick and, and um, my kids then decided, like, we'll have to go home, you know. So we decided to come back again, you know what I mean? And we came back then for the Wayne Dundon trial um, and the, the Nathan Killeen trial. Uh, and then after that, then shortly after that, we decided when they were put away that maybe it was safe to come back for a while. And that's what we did. And you must have taken some solace in seeing James Dillon go to jail for killing Roy. Well, it was, it was, well, lucky enough, it, it wasn't a trial that we had to do because he pleaded guilty. And that's the only decent thing he did, like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know. Um, you know, but like, I, I'll never forget. I'll never forget the, the morning of, of the murder. And uh, I remember being at the, 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 the Dundon trial, Dundon and Nathan Killian trial, and being shown footage of them going into the post office to collect their dole and laughing and joking and with not a care in the world. And then for 30 to 40 minutes later to come back up and shoot my son in cold blood. I just can't get that thought and that, that vision out of my head. You know, it was just traumatic. In the last few days, Steve, there has been a new twist in this whole story. Tell us what's happened. Well, we've, got, we've now got, got notice from the parole board that, that James Dillon has uh, applied for for parole and it's been looked at and uh, we were asked to, to, to it had we any complaints about it like and put them on paper and, and and go and see they would produce a solicitor for us to talk to and they put an application uh, to object to this like forward uh, so that's due to come up now um, or just waiting for a date I'm shocked and saddened uh, that it's come around this quick like you know uh, I thought we wouldn't have to deal with this for 20 years like but um, it's very upsetting for the family at the moment though. Yeah, how did you feel when you found that? Did it come out of the blue that it would be just 13 years you'd be looking at something like this? Just I never thought it would come to that. Like, as I say, 20 years is when I expected. I knew something would probably come around then and I was just saddened by it all. Like, you know, I mean, life should mean life, you know, and like my son got no second chance, you know, and at life. And I don't believe that that James Dillon is, is entitled to anything after that. I mean, I think it's just too soon, you know. What would you say to the parole board? I presume you'll get an opportunity to make a submission. What what will you tell them? Well, I'll tell them exactly the way I felt that day, um, the way it, when it all happened, his role in the whole thing, like and how, how serious he was, the one that pulled the trigger. And he was the one that, that could have had a chance to to maybe go in and, and maybe shoot Roy in the leg or something like that and go back to his gang and saying that when he got something off him, like, you know, and he probably would have been a hero down with his gang because he got something. But he decided to come in and shoot him in the back in cold blood, you know, uh, with no chance of, of him surviving. And um, I, I put that forward to him, like that, that vision of, of them laughing before, before it all happened. This has devastated a, a family. Yeah, we are we are traumatized by by losing our son. We 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 are the, the people of Limerick would be would be sickened by the whole thing, like because the people of Limerick who came out on the streets to change the laws with me, 
um, and, and to make this place, Limerick, a, a better place and the whole of Ireland a better place with these new royal, royal new laws, like um, that uh, they just need to look at this seriously, like and understand this is gangland. There will be no change. James Dillon had it had an opportunity to come forward and, and give the names of the others involved in this murder. And he didn't do it. He decided not to do it. Like he's he he's stuck by his guns and he's part of the gang and he's still part of the gang inside there. And letting him out like was going to be a serious mistake. And Steve, finally, how are your family now? Do you do you feel safe day to day? Have you managed to heal at all? You'll never heal from this. You'll never. I mean, it's it's it opens wounds like again, like that, that are there, and things like this just keep opening them again. Like you know, um, these modern scum should never see the light of day because it's traumatized us, all of our family. It's taken a big toll on our health. I've lost my wife over it. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I feel very very bitter about and. I just feel as though this is just too a step too too far like now with, with Dylan looking to get out like. And Paul Williams, we heard Steve there mention Roy's laws. Explain those to us and why they're still actually quite important today. Well, in the, the 2009 Criminal Justice uh, uh, Amendment Act um, was introduced as a result of the, the murder of Roy. This, this murder rocked the nation. Um, it really put the gangland problem front and centre on a scale not seen since, by the way. And basically, Dermot O'Hearn, the Minister for Justice of the day, introduced a number of very, very important uh, pieces of legislation. One was that anybody involved in organised crime or serious criminal activity like that would automatically be referred to the special criminal court to avoid jury intimidation. Uh, it also brought in the, the, the law of uh, outlawing uh, being a leader of or being a member of a criminal organisation or facilitating the activities of a criminal organisation. At the same time, legislation that had been lying around and hadn't been enacted, the Surveillance Act, basically that was brought in where the police gives the guardie the right to go into somebody's property, any property, car, house, premises, business premises, wherever, and plant bugging devices to listen to them so they can convict themselves in their own names. Now, that legislation is what we call Roy's legislation. And it is also a great, it's 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 certainly part of the legacy of Dermot O'Hearn, what he did as minister, because at the time it created huge controversy. And the controversy was that this was this is draconian. But the same with when the Criminal Assets Bureau was introduced in the wake of Veronica's murder, it was seen to be draconian. However, the judges and the courts found it to be absolutely proportionate. The big criticism of what we call Roy's laws was that they weren't used for several years. However, and this is where I think it's very important for Steve and for his family to remember, and it's, it is Roy's legacy. That legislation has been front and centre in helping to destroy and bring down the Kinnahans and the Hutches. That legislation only came into its own in 2016 after the Regency Hotel attack. Roy's laws, uh, as, as Steve has coined them, uh, certainly have made a big, big difference to the people of Ireland, ultimately. My thanks to Steve Collins and Paul Williams for joining me today. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Clips were from RTE, Virgin Media News, News Talk and the Irish Independent. 
If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. And you can find more of our journalism on independent.ie.